0: Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I am your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC, and also on uh, the app, the stunt at GatorDave underscore SEC. It's like Twitter, but it's just sports. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what the transition is. Uh, and going along with that is, but should be fun if you want to get away from everything else Twitter is known for these days. Uh, you can find me with the same username right there at GatorDave underscore SCC. But here we are in July, of course, and we are going to continue our look at the preseason magazines. And as he does every year from Athlon and 440 Sports up in Nashville, Braden Gall hops on Gators Breakdown to take a look at this Athlon magazine that comes out every summer. It's a ritual uh Braden I think that I get this magazine that you come on Gators Breakdown but uh, uh you know it's I wish we had some better things to talk about as far as the Gators go but we'll get your thoughts on the Gators the rest of the SEC and national we'll zoom out nationally as well uh but thanks for hopping on once again
1: yeah sure And if you've got an alternate version of Twitter that I need to be on please tell me uh right now I'm still on the sewers at Braden Gall and as you can see at 440 Sports right there so uh I'm still in there I'm still swimming around bathing in in, in elon sewer but uh you're right i am actively seeking uh refugee somewhere else so. yeah
0: I, look, I am too i mean well, I think, you and i both we built our following there's a big following so we can't <laughs> right. we can't abandon it but uh, we can look for other alternatives and right, hey right. look I, I just found the, the stunt a couple of months ago but yeah i think as every week every day passes it's just like all right we got i got to do something else here and so uh i got get breakdown plus and that discord does great there uh, but as far as something like Twitter, I mean, look, this is Stunts not even paying me, but I, I think we're all, right. all kind of looking for something. Uh, no, I think
1: uh, I think you're right. Discord is the one where, like, if you want to take a group of people who love SEC football or love yeah. Gator Gators football, and you want to put us all into a place together where we can communicate in real time, much like Twitter was, or still is, I guess in theory, without like a million other things happening. Like that, that's actually worked out pretty well. We're, we're playing around with that too, and yeah. I think it's great to sort of create a. A community of people that care about the same things give them a space to ask questions and talk and converse and send stuff back and forth and uh i think you're right that's that's a really fun place to be and uh that makes total sense you're a smart guy <laughs>
0: <laughs> trying to stay in front of it all Brady. that's what we're that's what we're trying to do here so uh yeah we'll get into the the, the athlon magazine and then, uh, everything that, that you guys put out there uh, Bray, how long have you been with athlon now
1: oh geez uh this is not going to be fun to admit. Uh, I started in <laughs> 0- 07. so this is, I think, okay. my seventeenth magazine. Okay, that we have put out, um, and to see it go from BCS, mm. like, like, kind of like right as Tebow was coming to power. Honestly, like the the oh six year, obviously, and then I took, I got there in oh seven, uh, like the summer of 07. and then so that was what he- Heisman Tebow, and then championship Tebow, and then. Like the fall of that particular Gators empire, and then the rise of Saban, and then we go into the playoff in fourteen, and now we're now I think, and I think what's fun about this season, you know, maybe Florida's not a factor in the SEC championship race here, but what I think is interesting about this season is I do I do think we have like an unprecedented season of football ahead of us. Like mm-hmm. it is, it's the end of of the current the the SEC has been thirty years of this one thing. Uh, with I guess the addition of A&M in Missouri I should say but like basically we've had two divisions and like this number of teams since 92 and now we're going to go away with divisions we're going to add two two major powerhouse programs the playoffs going to expand we have questions at Alabama for the first time in forever Georgia is going for a 3P but also trying to uh, you know overcome all the nonsense that's going on in the, in their program we've got like four or five or six potential breakout candidates We've got quarterback questions at Penn State, Clemson, Ohio State. Like, it's just I think it's going to be a fascinating year in what is the last year of our current college football system. And I think that's on. I think that could be. You could use the word unprecedented for that, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, that that does leave a lot of questions of uh, just yeah how this season does play out. You're right. I mean. Georgia's overwhelmingly the favorite. They should be going for that three-peat. but as you said, quarterback questions there, some some defensive line questions as well, and then of course, uh, and look, we'll get into that in just a second too. But uh, you know, just uh, it can't, it's hard to three. I mean, look, it's hard to go back to back, let alone 3 So it's just, look, I know they, that the schedule sets up perfectly for it, but uh, Braden, we'll, we'll get into it. It kind of reminds me now, not not strictly streamlined, but maybe 0-9 Florida. You know, they're coming off that title in the 08. Yep. They kind of sleepwalk a little bit through the season and get to Atlanta just get punched in the mouth by Alabama. I might say I can see that happening to Georgia, but it wouldn't surprise me if it plays out that way. And mostly just because that schedule that schedule might make them sleepwalk because they can right. roll out there. Uh, they're going only going to have a couple of games to really get up for. Uh, they'll get up for Florida every time. They'll probably get up for Tennessee as well. Uh, but besides that, Auburn too, I guess, you know, just because of the history of the rivalry, but they could, they could just fall into a sleepwalk, I guess. So, you
1: know, I, I mean, I think their biggest, their, their biggest rival this year is themselves. Like the thing that will slow them down is themselves, but, but that the problem with that, and I don't know, I don't know if this happens to you in the summertime, but it happens to me, like right, we get to media days, which we're coming up on and I start to get these like weird feelings about teams. And sometimes it's not like a specific thing or one stat or one piece of personnel news or whatever or an assistant coach or whatever. Like you just start to get these feelings. And sometimes it's because we're talking to people behind the scenes, it's off the record stuff. You know, we have anonymous coaching scouting reports in our magazine every year, which is my favorite thing that we do every year. Mm-hmm. And we get really we get like big chunks of information about every team. Coaches say the things that they really want to say because they know we're going to keep it anonymous. And so you sort of you start to piece together your feelings about a particular team. And last year with Georgia, I got I started thinking, because I think we had Georgia three in the magazine, and I was fighting hard for Georgia to be number one in the magazine for most of the of the production of that, which is like in April and May. Well, when we got to summer at Media Days, I was like, I, I started, and I remember doing like I was filling in for Fine Bomb. I was filling in like I was doing my shows and I was saying, I actually think Georgia's underrated, folks. I think Georgia three is underrated. They are being disrespected. Kirby came into media day saying that we are disrespected, basically. like He convinced his team that they were a new team and that they were being disrespected. And I I got a, a vibe about them. I had them number one in my preseason ranking. I picked them to win the national championship. I had money on them to win the national championship. We, we know what happened. I I am starting to go the other direction with Georgia this summer. And it's not just one thing. It is the combination of everything. And your, your point about the schedule is the, the, the tough thing to look past, which is that they'll be a heavy favorite in almost every game they play. But like, it's hard to 3 No one's ever done it. You're changing quarterbacks. You're changing coordinators. You've lost, what, like 17 players off of your defense to the NFL in over two consecutive seasons. That's a lot of talent that's left, regardless of what they've recruited. And now you're starting to get the noise that comes with every single program that's ever been a dynasty in the history of this sport – the noise happens. Happened to USC. Happened to Urban Meyer twice at two different schools. It it, it happens. It doesn't matter who you are, except for Saban. The noise. He's the only one that's figured out how to control the noise long term. And now you got you're covering up assault. You're you got the the tragedy with the you know dozens of people driving under the influence or too fast or street racing. Like that's a lot of distraction for eighteen to twenty two year olds. Who don't have the returning star quarterback, who have a new quarter coordinator, and have a bunch of new players on defense. So I'm starting to get the feeling that, like, like maybe I need to be more LSU curious in this conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, like maybe I need to be a little bit more. Like, I, I'm not ready to go Bama yet, but man, that LSU team looks pretty good right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I don't know. I'm just I'm starting to get a weird feeling about Georgia and how it's it, it ain't gonna happen. And and I don't know how that what that means yeah is, is it regular season to tennessee is it sec championship game to somebody is it losing to michigan in a in like a bloody bare knuckle 17 14 playoff game yeah. i don't know but i'm starting to get the feeling that i'm not going to pick georgia this year
0: okay and we'll, we'll get into the rest of the sec right i want to go back to something you said you started in 07 we're talking Georgia a little bit too if i remember right now it is a long time ago for, for me for me as well Florida was coming off of 07, Heisman Trophy-winning quarterback with Tebow, but a lot of questions on defense because they had to rebuild that 06 defense into 07. Georgia was being picked to be the national championship in 2008, but I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think Athlon actually had Florida number one going into 08.
1: Dude, you might be the only human being that knows that, and, <laughs> and I and I appreciate you. No, uh, and it wasn't just my decision; it was me, Mitch Light, who's now yeah. at the Athletic, Stephen Lassen, who works at Athlon. But I do remember the three of us picking Florida and thinking, because USC, I think, was the the Vegas front runner. Mm. You have to correct me if I'm wrong on that. I bu- because I
0: bu- them or Georgia, I believe. Yeah, because Georgia, and, and, Georgia, yep. Stafford, yep. Marino, and yep. all that. Yep. You know, we're coming yep. back from blowing out Hawaii in the 07 Sugar Bowl.
1: That's right, old Colt Brennan game, yeah. Uh, and and I think I think if I'm not mistaken, that that USC team lost on like a Thursday night to yep. Oregon State on the road and yep. like a huge upset. But I do, you're right though. Like we, there's one, there's very few things that like when when the the old Athlon editorial guard gets together and we're all like, man, we got that. I mean, we get ton of them wrong. We get so much stuff wrong. It happens. It's part of the job. But there's a very there's very few of them that we are more proud of then picking Florida and 08 to win the national championship. Like there's, there's very few where we just go like, all right, yeah, look what we did. <laughs> um, it, it, we, always,
0: it always sticks out in my head because you know, it, yeah. you know it's Florida, Georgia. And I, I hate it because it's not Texas, Oklahoma in the way that that game is besides this past year is most of the time, a fourth quarter, knockdown down, drag out. You have a more, you have more upsets in that rivalry as well. Florida, Georgia, you pretty much can pick the winner before the season even starts. Sometimes the games aren't even close. Uh, Texas-Oklahoma is a little more competitive to me. Uh, I think in that neutral site now, both being in the SEC type of rivalries. But you know, we thought we were getting – 07 was a great season. We thought 08 was going to be a great game between the two. But Meyer had revenge on his mind. But, yeah. my, mine, but you know, I, I always remember that, that, that you guys uh, were, were – Well, first of all,
1: we appreciate that. And everybody go by an Athlon sports because of that. (laughs) We do appreciate that. No, I, it's funny. I've been to the Texas Oklahoma game. I, I, I lived for like six years in Texas growing up as a kid. And it's such a huge part of like your existence, no matter who you are, if you're an Aggie fan, a Sooner fan, a Texas fan, a Texas tech fan, like it's such a huge part, but they have that way more upsets. And, and this almost is a commentary on Texas and Oklahoma coming to the SEC. But the part of the reason I think that game is more unpredictable and, You've got like bad Charlie Strong teams upsetting good Bob Stoops teams is I think in the SEC, you have clear dominating teams that are just better. And those teams rarely lose to teams that are not as good. And that to me, Georgia and Florida, when they're at their best, is better than when Oklahoma and Texas is at their best, at least pre-SEC. And and to me, that's why it's a little bit more predictable. It's like when Georgia's national title good, their national title good. When Alabama's national title good, they are. When it's when it's LSU and it's Joe Burrow, they just are gonna beat everybody. When it's Florida and it's Tebow, they're just gonna beat everybody. And that's not the case in the Big Twelve. And that is part of the adjustment process that Texas and Oklahoma are gonna have is that if you're gonna be the, the dude, you, you're gonna probably go out and prove it and beat everybody badly. That's what happens with great elite SEC teams. And that that's not always what happens with great elite Big Twelve teams.
0: Yeah. Man, we could we could we could go all kind of, we're branching <laughs> off. This is kind of a really good conversation, college football conversation going on here. But let's get straight to Florida. Everybody hit that like button, subscribe to Gators Breakdown right here on YouTube if you haven't done so yet, and on your favorite podcast platform. But, Braden, for, for these Gators, you know, six and seven last year for the second year in a row. Uh, and that translates Athlon picking the Gators fifth in the SEC East, uh, five and seven overall record, three and five in the conference, 49th overall. Uh, so no two-year bump uh, for Billy Napier in, in the way it's looking like uh, that that you guys see. Like a tough schedule, of course, to to, to go along with that. Uh, but you know, no, not really an improvement from year one to year two, uh, according to the line
1: Yeah, I think it's tough. So uh, first of all, the 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 things that I would probably disagree with in terms of what Athlon sports picked and one is positive and one is negative. I do think they will be better than five and seven. I would pick them to be six and six. And if they were playing sort of a traditional, maybe Florida opponent in week one, there's an automatic number six victory right there. Instead of going on the road to a top 10 team uh, in Utah. Good news. Hopefully for Florida is that cam rising. The quarterback isn't fully healthy necessarily. Maybe at that point, who knows? I doubt it. Um, but I don't, but I like Missouri a little bit better than Florida. So like, so it's weird. Like my positive is I think they're six and six, not five and seven. My negative is I think that Missouri and that they frankly both should be higher nationally. We have them at 49 and 50 in the magazine. Mm-hmm. I think, they're, I think they're both like 42 and 43 ish. I think they're better than that. They're closer to Auburn than I think they are to like Vanderbilt, for example. Um, so I would have Missouri ahead of Florida, but I would have them both higher if that makes sense in, in my rankings. And I I think Florida could be a better football program. And I think we're seeing some proof of concept of that with the off the field stuff. And you and I have talked about this. As long as the off the field stuff continues to be positive and to be trending in the right direction and the trajectory on spending and investment and all that stuff is paying off in recruiting, then I think fans, I, I think is you go to six and six and you see all the other things falling into place, that is your program getting better. And you can't all of a sudden have the same players as Georgia and Alabama if you don't also have all the infrastructure and the recruiting in in place. Now, does that mean that Austin Armstrong's the guy or that Billy Napier's the guy or whatever? No, we don't know. But recruiting rankings are like polls, like in politics. It is simply a snapshot in time. It is just like it just is. This is what's happening right now today. It doesn't mean anything about yesterday. It doesn't mean anything about tomorrow. But you can take it for what it's worth today. And right now, Florida's doing a great job recruiting. And I would argue that is because of the infrastructure and the departments and the investment that Billy Napier is building out. You know, we see we get the news, of course, about the the stadium renovation. Like it's all part of a big picture plan. Dabo Sweeney did this at Clemson when he took the job. He laid out like the big three ring notebook binder full of stuff we've got to do to invest. And I think everything had sort of fallen behind in that in those areas and and so i know that's hard for fans to to look at and say you know when you're losing to georgia or you know if tennessee comes to the swamp and wins that game which i think is going to be a good game uh, there's there's lots of reasons to be like i don't i don't understand where are we what are we doing where are we going but if you can see tangible growth and progress around the pro, around the team the 85 and all that then is starting to show you proof of concept off the field which it is right now then I think your program is getting better, even if your record is basically the same. Um, you know, you got to solve the quarterback, but you've got the number three quarterback in America coming in next year, supposedly. So, you know, it, it all has to sort of go in order. Yeah. And and I think right now it's going in order from from what I can tell from the outside.
0: I, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, last week we we dove into Athlon we We dove a big deep dive into the preseason magazines. One thing I took away from what you guys did at Athlon was program pressure. And the, the programs that are out there, there's five programs, Florida, Miami, Texas, Texas a and Nebraska, were the five programs that you guys labeled as, you know, that, that, that have that close to must-win-now mentality. There's a pressure building up there. Uh, and if you look at what Florida did, what Billy Napier did, like, he didn't do the Brian Kelly route. He didn't do the Lincoln-Riley route of – all right, I'm going to almost right away blow it up as far as getting current players off the roster, go hit the transfer portal aggressively. Uh, and he decided not to do that. So that means instant success probably isn't going to be there. You're going to have to show some patience. If if you're going to build it the way Billy Napier is going to build it and it does look like more dependent on high school recruiting than immediate transfer portal help. Look, I don't, I'm not saying it's right or wrong either way, but this is the way he's chosen to do it. Right. And so we're going to have to show some patience uh, because that's the only way this is going to play out uh, for, for Billy Napier going this route with it. So, uh, you know, it, it, it is with that pressure there. There's still patience involved at the same time.
1: And, well, and first of all, I don't think it's necessarily even fair to compare Billy Napier to either Brian Kelly or Lincoln Riley. Like those are guys, you know, Brian Kelly, the winning it. it Brian Kelly passed Newt Rockney. when you have a better win loss record than Newt Rockney at Notre (laughs) Dame. Like you've done something again, BCS championship game, multiple playoff appearances, Lincoln Riley, multiple playoff appearances, multiple Heisman trophies, both those guys far more established at the highest levels. And oh, by the way, he had a ready-made superstar Heisman trophy quarterback that was willing to come with him in Caleb Williams. So like there's different you also have to sort of understand Mm -hmm. and LSU. Let's be very clear about Ed Orgeron like LSU had many problems, lots of problems. Lots of really disgusting problems. Recruiting players wasn't necessarily one of them. So, like, Brian Kelly also stepped into a far better roster. So, again, right now, you could look at LSU and say they might have the best pass rusher and defensive tackle in the entire country. Like, just right out of the gate, you could say that potentially about this LSU team. And they were on the team last year. So, I I think Mason Smith got hurt, of course. But I think what's, what's interesting is, is it the right... Strategy. I tend to think that you have to recruit at the highest levels to 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 create most of your roster. If Mm -hmm. you want to win national championships, I think you can supplement with bits and pieces. Maybe not like as zero sum as like Clemson does it. Right. You know. I think, but it doesn't have to be like all or nothing, like Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin. Like I think there's a balance in there where Nick Saban's kind of showed us. I'm going to go out and get Jameer Gibbs. I'm going to go out and get you know, the, 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 who's the, the, the tackle from Vanderbilt strong, drawn draw a blank now, is oh, it Anthony, right. Steen, yeah. Anthony Steen, like he came in and played, and now he's in a third round pick in the NFL, you know, like they I just mean, kind of what
0: George think, is doing to you know, it. Right. The kind yeah, of, exactly, you, exactly.
1: Yeah. So like now they have one of the best receiving cores in the sec because they went out and got, you know, love it and Thomas. And so I, I think you have to build like, like in the NFL, you have to build a championship caliber team through the draft and developing developing your players in your system with your culture And your coaches and your teaching and that kind of stuff. And I think that's how you that's how you win in college football, but you can supplement like none of these teams that are transfer teams have ever won a national championship. Like that's Jacob Coker won a championship as a transfer quarterback, I guess. I'm, I'm, you know, Stetson Bennett technically was a transfer quarterback if you want to count him as that, but he kind of wasn't, right? He like went to Georgia first. I I just think that there's that's the right way to do it. I I think, and you mentioned those programs as pressure. I think it's sort of different pressure for each program. Like Matt Rule at Nebraska is right. not under any pressure to win this year.
0: And I like, I, mean, it, I like the way you guys did it. It was program pressure, not necessarily. Yeah, it's, it's, right.
1: it's over overarching downward pressure on the program from the fan base to do something. Yep. And like, I don't think Matt Rule is going to have a particularly great first year. I think he's done very well in year two everywhere he's been um Napier's downward pressure is just like look at everyone else look at Georgia look at Bama look at you know Tennessee's all of a sudden now playing great football like we what what about us well you can't just fix every problem at every program with like a coach and a transfer quarterback like that's not how college football works and so Florida's problems were different than Nebraska's problems which are different than A&M's problems A&M is about adaptation and evolution and culture and a bunch of other things like that's different pressure than Nebraska, which is I don't have players <laughs> like <laughs> and, and that's kind of similar to Florida's like I, we need players. But the difference being Florida can get them if if, if done the right way. And so um, like Texas is Texas to me is sort of like Auburn. The pressure on Texas is like there's too many cooks in the kitchen trying to get their way. And that's why Texas has never turned into Georgia or Alabama where everyone is pulling in the same direction. And that's where Texas's problems come is generally from lack of alignment. And I feel like they've got more alignment today than they've had in a while. So they're all kind of different. Long story short, I think Florida's pressure is just we expect to win championships. Look at Georgia. Look at LSU. Look at Alabama. Why not us? Well, they are. I would, you know, it's McElwain, champ Mullen. Like that's that's the reason is you don't have the, <laughs> you don't have the players. And so you've got to fix those problems first. I do think that's what Billy Napier is doing. The question is, is, does? how about this? Whatever happens to Billy Napier in the fourth season, if he is the head coach or he's not, the program will be in significantly better shape, no matter what, full stop. If it's a new coach that's coming in, in, in the fourth year post-Mullen, the program will be in significantly better position to win immediately than when Billy Napier got here, whether he gets to enjoy the fruits of that labor or not.
0: Yeah, that's a good conversation. Uh, I think you're looking forward, you know, where where they uh yeah, where, where, you know, what the as I said, this 24 class, you mentioned it already. The the good start this 24 class, DJ Lagway coming in, it's top 5 right now. You know, that that class, that quarterback is going to make or break Billy Napier. I, I think we know that by now. Uh that you know, he's going to go where that class goes. But Braden talking about this this team and you've brought it up a little bit and I see at the very 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 top of your screen there something that says Wisconsin behind you. <laughs> and of course the, the big storyline of transfer quarterback, yep. Graham Mertz coming from Wisconsin. And look, you don't only cover the sec there for Athlon. You cover a national perspective as well. So you've got to see a lot of, a lot more Graham Mertz than Gator fans have uh, the, the last few years. So I think the question a lot of people are asking themselves and we've talked ourselves into a little bit and we hope is somewhat true did the Wisconsin offense hold Graham Mertz back, or did Graham Mertz hold the Wisconsin offense back?
1: Yes, <laughs> um, exactly. I do think the offense is is pretty antiquated, and no no team in America is making a bigger switch offensively schematically than Wisconsin. They're they're going from as ground and pound as it gets to you know Phil Longo and the air raid. So they're making a massive switch. Now, what's interesting about Mertz is as highly touted a passing prospect as the university of Wisconsin has ever signed. And his head coach, Paul Christ, when he signed him was one of the, you know, better offensive minds in school history he was the offensive coordinator for Russell Wilson and the 2011 team that was really, really dynamic and, and down the field. A lot of that had to do with Russell Wilson. Um, he, he didn't, he got like marginally better each year they, they not, not, not a ton. I think the problem with Mertz and I think, you know, it happened in critical moments is that he tends to hurry things up when he's under pressure and he has like, and this is where the offense didn't do him any favors. He would have like one good read in a, in a, in the scheme. And that guy, a lot of times was open and he would miss that guy. But a lot of times it's because he knew that was his only chance. I don't know if that makes sense, but like that was his only, they'd be on, you know, third and six inside the red zone and everyone knows they're passing. And for whatever reason, it's like a two person route. And like, you just, it's, it's like an in breaking post pattern on, on safety coverage. And like he had, he was open, but he had to be perfect. And he put a ton of, it was a, they put a ton of pressure on him making that one throw when the rest of the game, they didn't really ask him to do that very often. And so I think some of that is the scheme and the timing. I don't think his offensive coordinator, Bobby Ingram was particularly good. I don't think the system was very good at all. They had a superstar running back and a really good offensive line and they couldn't maximize that. Like, if you've got a good running game in college football, you should be running a pretty lethal play-action offense. Yes. Like, your your play-action offense should be very, very easy to fool college defensive backs. <laughs> like, it just, it just should be. So I think he's got the tools. The question is, when the lights come on, and I've seen this covering the NFL, I've seen this covering the Titans for, for 15 years now, like, being at camp, sometimes you see somebody and you're like, oh, my God, that is an NFL quarterback. And then the lights come on and it just doesn't click. And so I think that's the question is, given more options, given more versatility, given more I- interesting passing concepts, can he work through his progressions quick enough and use the really good arm talent to take the easier throw and maybe build some confidence And So I think go- going to Utah is not going to help that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in, week, in week number one, but he's a talented kid and there's no, like this is kind of the same thing for Rattler, kind of the same thing for Milton at Tennessee, like the, Generally speaking, if you've been around college football a long time and you play your final season somewhere with better athletes, a lot of times you're gonna have your best season. The question is, how good is that best season? And you know, I think you can ask that of of all three of those guys Spencer Rattler, Joe Milton, and and Graham Mertz. Like, okay, you all had talent coming out of high school, varying degrees. You've all kind of struggled throughout your career, you've all transferred, you've all ended up in a new spot, you've never really realized your potential but there's a good chance you're more comfortable today than you've ever been. What does that mean? And and does that mean you've, you know, you're, you're good enough to win eight or nine games, or does that mean it's your best season, but it's still kind of average. And I, and I think, you know, Rattler maybe has the best chance. I think Milton has the best offense. And I think Mertz is probably going to be the lesser of the three, Um, but it doesn't mean he can't be productive, operate within the confines of the offense, keep the running game going um i mean i think you and i've talked a lot about this i think the defense is a as big a concern as the quarterback as as you know as anything else
0: absolutely now to take us to right here the athlon opposing coaches view uh and you guys uh did have some thoughts in there uh from coaches on napier on armstrong i'll read it uh did it last week but we'll do it one more time here and get your thoughts uh this season's going to Test a lot of people's patience. We kind of mentioned that just a bit, but uh, head coach Billy Napier was never going to be Steve Spurrier, and he inherited probably the least talented overall roster in 20-some-odd years at Florida. There's a reason they ran off Dan Mullen, and it wasn't about his record. The lack of winning on those top guys in recruiting is starting to show up on the field. It could really be trial by fire for defensive coordinator Austin Armstrong with that schedule, because this is such a far cry from a level of defensive talent they had with Will Muschamp. They have some depth at running back. You can see where Napier wants to build along that plan and schedule he had at Louisiana. But are people going to be patient enough for that? The bottom line is that this roster doesn't look like it's from the state of Florida. You can't fix that in two off-seasons when you play in the <laughs> SEC. So, of course, yeah, yeah. right? I think when you look at that, it's not to say Florida doesn't have talent. Now, what well, we did the episode last week, as I said, where we discussed this. And look, when that is brought up, now, don't get me wrong. It does say, you know, it doesn't work. Well, this is a roster from the state of Florida. Uh, and that's also in relation to, and I think it's putting it on that level. You know, this isn't a roster that's going to take you to Atlanta on any kind of consistent basis. It's not going to help you beat Georgia on a consistent basis. You're not going to challenge Alabama. You're going to struggle versus LSU, which is what we've seen uh, the last few years. This, what we came up with is the margin of error is so small in the SEC with a roster like this.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's completely accurate, and I also think the schedule sets up poorly, cur- like it, at, in its current iteration for this year of the Billy Napier rebuild. Right? I think that that's the key. I, I listen. I'm not going to just 20 years. I, I don't know. I think we can have a debate on whether or not it's the worst roster in twenty yeah. years. It, it's certainly not one of the better ones. So we can we can all agree on that. Like whether or not it's eight years, 10 years, 15 years, 40 years, that's, that's irrelevant. The question is, can you win some football games against teams with better players? And I think what's interesting is outside of the Tennessee game. I I think what's interesting is that the schedule doesn't, it it sort of, it hurts in some particular ways, like the road game to Kentucky, right? Like the, that's a Kentucky could be significantly better this year than last year. That's a tough spot to get them at Utah is a tough spot to get them. South Carolina, of course, is going to be out for revenge from last year, which I mean you have to assume they're going to play better. Well, you have to play on the road. Then then you got Georgia, of course. Arkansas at home is we have no clue how good Arkansas could be. They could be really, really good if KJ Jefferson's healthy, or they could be dealing with the same problems that Florida is. And Sam Pittman's on the hot seat at that time. And Florida gets one at home. Obviously, LSU, I think very highly of. We know how strange and bizarre the Missouri-Florida relationship is in general. <laughs> uh, always like one of the strangest football games every year. And then, of course, Florida State happens to be trending way, way up this year. I'm a big believer in Florida State this year. So I, it just it's, it's kind of unlucky from that sense. You could also look at it as, okay, you're getting a bunch of really tough games for a team that's not ready yet. And if you're not ready yet, you might as well play some really good teams, take your lumps, learn how to be a champion. Like I, I'm actually, I, I have no, again, it's easy for me to step back and look at the three to five year window for this team. Yeah. I understand. That's not how fans work. Fans want to watch a game on Saturday and win. And that's it. Like I get it. But if you're going to, if you're going to finish this year, five and seven, like we predicted and you're going to lose to like four top 10 teams, let's call it. And let's say like, even that LSU game last year was close enough Dan Mullen wasn't all that great, but he still would have made the playoff all three of his first three seasons in terms of finishing in the top 12. And they overachieved at times, right? The Bama championship game, you know, they go to LSU and win. Like you can still, this is not like, you know, Georgia Southern roster here. Like it's still an SEC roster. So can you beat teams like Missouri and Arkansas and South Carolina and Vanderbilt and Kentucky and Tennessee, especially with the Mental hurdles Tennessee has going to the swamp. Of course you can. Yeah. I
0: mean, at some point, no.
1: coaching has to play a part, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. So I, I think there's, to me, it's kind of weird to say this. I think it's kind of house money for me with Napier in this season. And that is, if you're doing all the things off the field that you're supposed to, investing in the program, building out your personnel department, building out your scouting department, showing proof of concept on the recruiting trail, which right now, all of that has happened, right? Right. If you do all of that and they go 7 and 5 and pull a couple of upsets, let's say Tennessee, Arkansas and Missouri. All of a sudden you win 7 and 5, like to me it's you're you're ahead of schedule house money. If you lose to a really good Tennessee team or a really good LSU team or a really good Arkansas team and you finish 5 and 7, but you still have all the other stuff in place, I don't think Billy Napier's career will be defined by like a couple of drives in the fourth quarter in like three games. I think that's, I know fans do that, but that to me is short-sighted to say like, we've got this 12-month, 365-day-a-year build that's happening every single day, and because like we couldn't make a couple of plays in like two games yet, is the reason why it's never going to work. I just, I think that's, again, that's the patience that was in that quote. That's the patience most SEC fans do not have. I am, I am aware of that. Um, but my job as an analyst is to look at what I see and I see trajectory in a positive way. I Maybe I lean towards more patience in general. Like I see what Kentucky has done, you know, like just being patient and allowing the, the process to play out and investing in a guy that knows what he's doing and, it, and it's working for them. Um, so I think, you know, I think patience is way more invaluable in college football than anyone really wants to give it credit for.
0: I think, you know, it's just when you see Urban Meyer win a national championship in year two, Nick Saban, you know, challenging for a national championship in year two, Kirby Smart going to the playoff and barely losing to Alabama in year two. You know, you, there's that history that says, okay, maybe... you if Hypel, you're right, Josh Hypel. You're right. Yeah, even recently, you're right. You, you see a growth in year two, and if you don't see it by year two, maybe the worry already sets in, but... You know, I, I just, you, know, college, you know, I'm not trying to make an excuse. I, I don't know. College football and the way it's going now and an expanded playoff, patience may mean more now uh, with just how the game is changing. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, there, there's different ways to build right now between high school recruiting, transfer portal, expanded yeah. playoff, all these factors now. Uh, I think, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see how it plays out and what it means for, you know, how to build a program and and how much more patient uh, programs and, can be.
1: And I want to be clear, like, I'm not making excuses. Like, Florida should be... On the same level as Alabama, LSU, Ohio State, Texas, USC. Pick pick whatever program is hot that at that time, right? Like again, when it was Urban Meyer in Florida, it was USC. That was the top. That was the top challenger. Uh, Texas was actually pretty good at that at that point too. But like, it it was pre Bama and Saban, right? And it was pre Kirby Smart in Georgia. It was pre Urban Meyer and, and Ohio State. It was like that's where Florida belongs. So it is one of the top five or six or seven jobs in America. It is on that top tier that when it is going well, it is und- it is unstoppable. The way Georgia can be, or Alabama can be, or Ohio State can be, so that's where it needs to be. Like, there's no argument there. I would argue Tennessee needs to be there, Auburn needs to be there, Texas A&M should be there. That's, that's not how it works. There's only enough spots at the table, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we'll see what happens. Uh, I, I think that you. I, I'm 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 big on preaching patience to a point. Yeah, and then at some point, like again, this is why I think. He'll have his three years. The program will be in way better shape in year four. The question is: is will he have proven enough that he's the guy to take advantage of that growth and progress, or if they're going to go get somebody else? Like that—that's to me—that's like patience now, maybe even patience next year. But by year four, you got the infrastructure, you got the new stadium, you got the renovations, you got the personnel department, you got the scouting budget, you got the recruiting fixed. Is Billy Napier the right guy to do that? I don't. We just don't know that yet.
0: Right. That's where it is. It just the question remains open when people probably want an answer by that point. And <laughs> that's what that is. A, the there's, a they, reason,
1: there's a reason these people make millions of dollars to be <laughs> athletic directors and we do
0: not. Exactly. Uh, Brady. Last thing before I let you go here, I, I threw up the SEC order of finish while you were, you know, while we were kind of discussing this and other teams there. I mean, it is, I think safe to say a log jam with, Maybe Tennessee to a point, but I I would put them above Kentucky, South Carolina, Florida, based off of last year. And going to the West, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, Arkansas. I mean, there's six teams. I think three on each side: Kentucky, South Carolina, Florida, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, Arkansas. There is just not a lot of separation in this conference between those six teams. I don't think. Yeah, as you said, you know, schedule plays a part. In Florida, going to Utah changes some things, makes this overall schedule harder. But when you look at pure SEC records. It's probably going to be a lot of, you know, five and three, four and four, three and five teams right there. And there's going to be between those six teams, I think, uh, kind of just going head to head with each other.
1: I, I think this is part of my point about like how the record looks almost as much as what the record is. Like if you are in every game you're playing against an eight and four Arkansas, a, a nine and three Tennessee, a seven and five Missouri, a eight and four South Carolina a 10 and two LSU and a 12 and zero Georgia, if you're in those games and you're competitive and a few plays in the fourth quarter, don't go your way, dude, the entire, the entire season for almost all of these teams is going to be decided that way. Cause I think you're right. I think this is the most unpredictable and most interesting and most dynamic conference we've ever had. We've got we we've lost Bryce young, Hendon hooker, will Levis, Anthony Richardson, yeah, Stetson Bennett, like the two-time defending champion, a Heisman Trophy winner, two first-round picks, and, and Will Levis, along with other like the quarterback ranks are completely shook up as well. Like I just to to me no, there's only two teams in the entire conference that bring back a quarterback and a coordinator. That's Vanderbilt and LSU, which means everyone else is changing coordinators or quarterbacks. So we just don't know. Like, I, and everyone's kind of happy right now. Like I know Florida fans are a little bit sort of like, oh, let's see some growth here. But like largely there's reason for Florida fans to have optimism. Like you can point to things that say, okay, I think we're headed in the right direction. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, Auburn fans are even, even Auburn fans are happy right now for crying out loud. Like if if Auburn fans are excited about football, then we know like every team has reasons for optimism. And so to me, a, that's terrifying. That means there's going to be somebody very, (laughs) very disappointed. But it also means to me it's the healthiest this conference has ever been, which is also a terrible time to be rebuilding. But it's it, this is the best Ole Miss football we've seen in maybe ever modern modern college football. It's the best Kentucky football we've seen probably ever in ever in the history of Kentucky football. Um, Mississippi State has a quarterback that's going to set every single passing record in in the SEC record book. Period. A uh, and M just hopefully fixed their problems with Bobby Petrino. LSU won the division. Alabama's still Alabama. is the two-time champ. Tennessee just had the best season in twenty years. South Carolina is as as bullish on their own team as anybody else. Like Vanderbilt, oh, vastly yeah. over vastly overachieved last year. Like who who is the bad team that's going to dump take a like like dump all their way down the standings? Yeah. Like who's the dumpster fire? There is none.
0: And Brady, I would uh, say the only two teams that fit say say to say. Just go by each team if they had a bad season. I would say the only ones that still would feel pretty bad about it, Texas A&M, because of way they recruited yeah. pressure, and it would be you know another season that just probably wouldn't live up the expectation. A lot, and also, lot, of, just, lot of
1: money creates that pressure too. So
0: there you go, and probably Missouri because Drinkwitz has been there long enough. If they have another bad season, I could be like, is he the guy? But those are the only two programs I can see if they have a bad season where. You know, yeah, it, he, the, the arrow would be pointing down instead of maybe status quo.
1: And and unless A and M wants to like sell ten percent of their university to like the Saudi wealth fund, they're they're not they're not firing Jimbo Fisher with that amount of money. Like the, the, I think the largest buyout ever was was Gus Malzahn at like twenty two million. Yeah, like Jimbo Fisher's at like sixty. <laughs> like it's not it's not it's not gonna it's not gonna happen. But the arrow would be down to your point. I, I think honestly I think there's only two coaches that can get fired this year. Honestly. I think there's only two coaches that could get fired this year, and that's Eli Drinkwitz and Sam Pittman. I think those are the only two, and I think for those that for that to happen, I think they would Arkansas would have to fall to eight and to four and eight, Missouri would have to take two steps back to to three or four wins because Eli's built up a lot of goodwill, he's recruited really well, recruited, the, NIL, yeah. the NIL is built up around him, and frankly, being 500 during a pandemic season and then following being 500, almost beating Georgia, like. There's, he, I also think he's done something really smart this year in letting go of the offense. Something Jimbo Fisher took way too long to do at A and M. He hired Kirby Moore to be the offensive coordinator. He fixed his defense in one hire two years ago. Like he's shown the ability to be a good CEO, and I think Missouri is a good example of like Kentucky. Please show patience. Like just show patience and and let him do his job because there's lots of things to like about it, even if six and six is not what you love. But I think at six, six and six with Missouri is not terrible. So I think you need to kind of build on that. Arkansas is the one where with KJ Jefferson, two coordinated, two new coordinators, they are supposed to be an eight, eight ish win team. And if they are a four win team, Sam Pittman is squarely on the hot seat, but otherwise I don't think there's a single, I don't, I'm, I could argue there's not going to be a single coaching change in the sec this year. And that every fan base is pretty optimistic heading into the season. And again, to me, that is terrifying. If I'm a, if I'm a head coach, <laughs>
0: Yep, yep. You know, this good feelings don't last too long. Uh, we, yeah. we we know that. We know that. So, all right, Braden, man, from Athlon Four Forty Sports up there in Nashville as well. Uh, one, one more time, this summertime uh, tradition here. Uh, getting getting together around the the uh, magazine release time and uh, what, what you got. I mean, SEC Media Days coming up. So, what what you guys got planned?
1: Oh, all kinds of stuff. So Fringe Element podcast is all SEC. We got some announcements coming on that show. It's going to change. We're going to add a new voice to that. So check okay. that out, which I know you've been a guest on a number of times. So Fringe Element, all SEC football all the time. So we cover all 14 teams, soon to be 16, uh, as evenly as possible. Uh, we've got the cover two podcast, which is National College Football with Athlon Sports. Of course, go buy a magazine, sports.com pay for and support good local journalism. All there of our go. stories. All, there there you. you go. All of our stories come from uh, I think I've got the same one there. So <laughs> uh, All of our stories come from people that actually cover the team. Unlike other magazines, uh, our stories are actually written by people on the ground covering the beats in every town in, in major college football. So uh, please do that. You can get to me. Yes, still on Twitter uh, at Braden Gall uh, and then at 440 Sports. And uh, again, 440 Sports is a Nashville based company. So. You probably don't care as much about the Nashville Predators, but if you care about SEC football, we do have a really good SEC show. It's all over the YouTube page as well. So uh, please check it out. We do appreciate it, man.
0: All right. Braden Gall, Athlon Sports, 440 Sports, right here on Gators Breakdown. That'll do it for this episode. I am your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thank you for joining me on this episode of Gators Breakdown.